What would it look like to take a gap year and travel? How about doing that with kids? What if you use joy as a metric for success? Listen to this interview with Heidi Dusick and learn about all these tips and more. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much for being here. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Locker. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Locker, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Heidi Dusick, who has earned the title of Adventurous Mom after over a decade of packing up kids and setting off on adventures near and far. She's currently winding down her career in the public sector as a foundation executive to take a gap year with her family to live on an intentional life, challenging herself to not get too comfortable or align with the status quo. Love it. Her work is featured as the podcast host and founder of Ordinary Sherpa, an online community designed to inspire families to connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Heidi and her husband, Brent, live in Northeast Wisconsin with their three kids and why how do you pronounce this dog name? <laughs> Weimariner. It doesn't matter. Weimariner you can just say Weimariner dog. <laughs> Three kids and dog. They spend their time skiing, building igloos, making maple syrup, and fill the gaps with hiking, mountain biking, and aim to spend as much time outdoors as possible. While they crave travel, they also recognize the privilege and comforts of coming home. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Melanie. It's exciting to be on today. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you about your life of adventure and family. And I love that you are kind of breaking the mold of what things should look like and how things should be done. I think that is so inspiring. And so first, I just wanted to start off and talk about this gap year that you're taking. That is so exciting. So congratulations, number one. And I also want to hear more about what inspired you to take a gap year. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, if I'm being completely transparent, like there's definitely this fear of missing out. So I'm not, I just want to like own it and say that there was definitely this desire for an exchange student in high school and we hosted several foreign exchange students. And so I knew that this, I guess, like abundance of opportunity and learning and just seeing things that were different than what I was experiencing in my daily life were out there. I just didn't really know how I was going to make that happen, you know, like in my 40s, (laughs) because now life is much more difficult having three kids and a full-time job and things of that nature. So I was on the path to financial independence and would happen after we reached financial independence. And part of me began to question that mentality of, 
why are we waiting to do all of these things when we are financially able to? Like, what would it look like if we did them now or sooner? I started to realize I didn't think my kids would maybe want to do those things when they were in high school and in college, or it would be much more difficult for them to join us. I wanted them to have experiences like this as a family until they were adults to do these things. So there were a number of things that just became underlying factors. And we began to start saying, what would it look like if, and that question just kind of permeated our life for years. But I, you know, it got to that point where I was doing some, I guess, internal work. And I decided to, instead of like having these external goals as metrics in like what is success looking like and stuff like that, I decided to say, what would it look like if joy was the metric? Um, and that just took me down another rabbit hole of like, okay, how, how would I measure this? How do I do this? How do I check in with my kids to see what their joy rating is? So it was just a fascinating experiment that led to a lot of different things. And ultimately we learned we don't need as much as we thought we did. And when we started to really learn some of the tools of like financial independence and some of the financial tools is the best word I can come up with, but like there's different things for different purposes. And we learned the rules around those things. We realized like this could actually happen. So it became a goal probably about five years ago. And then when we hit the benchmark of what we said we needed, we were like, okay, what are we going to do now? And it took us a year to say anything about it. We didn't want to do anything. We just sat on it for a little while. And then finally, earlier this year, I was like, I think we have to do this. My son is in seventh grade. He didn't want to do this in high school. I was like, I think we just have to do this. So as nerve wracking as it still is, I'm less than two months away from winding things down. It's like exhilarating at the same time. <laughs> so all of those things happened in relatively short amount of time, but it's been a very fascinating journey. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And I love the idea of having joy as a metric. I think that is so important and kind of similar to that. I started asking myself, like, what makes me feel good? What are the things that you know, just make me feel good, make me feel positive. Mm -hmm. And those are the things I want to do more of, right? And to take an inventory of what things are adding to your life and not just subtracting. And I also love the fact that you're not waiting because actually I read the book Die With Zero earlier this year and it had a profound impact on me because we have this idea that we have to save up all this money and we'll use it in retirement and we'll use it later. But his main premise in the book is that our utility of money goes down as we get older. And what he means by that is we can typically get the most out of our money between ages 30 and 60, right? Not to say that, you know, we're not healthy or we're going to drop dead after 60. That's not yeah. what he was saying. But there are certain things you might not be able to do because you don't have the same time. You don't have the same energy. And I actually had this realization, like after I read the book, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to take surfing lessons. I want to go paragliding. Like, I might, you know, maybe have another 10 to 20 years to do that. But then after that, like, I might not have the physical capacity or the energy right. or maybe the interest. And like, I need to put my money where my mouth is now to do some of those things while I have the energy. Because as we know, as we get older, some of our energy or physical um, energy and capabilities go down. And so if we have that money, but we don't have the time, we don't have the energy, we could be missing out on certain things. And so I love that you're doing that now and saying, let's just do it. Why wait? And, you know, we also hear those horror stories of of people retiring. And then, you know, a week later, <laughs> they they drop dead or they come down with some illness. And it's like, people work their whole lives to stop working in retirement. 
but it's like, why can't we have some fun now and try to, you know, mix it up? And this reminds me of my episode with um, Jillian Johnsrud, who takes mm-hmm. many retirements. And I, I love this idea. Where, where are you guys going? What are you doing? So we try to do non-traditional things and I talk a lot, you know, I can get into this a little bit, but I try to think of things more authentically. Like I don't necessarily have a bucket list per se, but I like to go based on where we can build connections, where we can build relationships, where we can experience something that's a little bit new or different to us or challenge us to get outside of our comfort zones. So this is just kind of funny, but it's, it's very, it's very us. Our first stop is going to be in the deep south. So we're doing Arkansas, Mississippi, and Louisiana because those are three states I've never been to. But I also was kind of joking. I'm like, who's got Arkansas on their bucket list? But it actually happens to be one of the mountain bike capitals of the world. And so we are kind of stoked oh, to go see that. But we're nice. also just, there's so much we don't know. And I think that's one of the blind spots of travel is sometimes you're always so focused on the destination that you don't really pay attention to what else is even out there. This world is huge and there's so many opportunities. So I don't have a real defined itinerary after that. So we're, we're I mean, I know we're going to go skiing and that was part of, we wanted to chase snow for a little while and then we're going to hit the Northeast for a little bit. You know, I think we'll just see how things go. I know that's a little crazy, but that's how it feels most comfortable to us or most challenging to us to explore what what we want this year of adventure to look like. I think it makes so much sense, you know, to have a loose plan and then sort of figure out what happens next and what you like, what you don't like, where you want to go. And having that flexibility and choice, I mean, those are the things that are most important. And you guys are going to have so much fun. I'm so excited. So I'm curious, how did you prepare for this financially? You said this was an idea about five years ago. Did you start, you know, coming up with a budget based on what you wanted to do based on your income? Kind of what are some of the nuts and bolts of how you prepared for this? Yeah, well, I have to be really transparent because I think so much of this was fueled by the desire or the movements. And the more we learned around what the tools were, the better we understood the rules of the game and how we might use those to our benefit. So how could our money work for us as opposed to like, how could we work for money was kind of the mindset we got to. And I would say there's kind of, for lack of a better word, there's like three buckets that we started to explore. So we have like traditional savings, long-term savings, I'll say, um, would be like 401ks and 403bs and pension plans and stuff like that. We got really intentional about like, how much do we need for the future? And we used Coast Phi kind of as the calculation for that bucket. And then we had kind of this middle range bucket of things that we could tap into if there was an emergency, but ideally we don't want to. And those were things like Roth IRAs, Roth anything really, HSAs or HSAs, Roth IRAs. And I think there's a Roth 403B in that portfolio. And then the short term was really things that we could potentially access or that we would need for a year of living on the road. The goal was to have a year of expenses saved up. And then we would see, and I have to be careful because we're calling it a gap year, but I'm also not, I'm not married to the idea that it has to be a year. If we feel after six months, like, okay, this is uncomfortable. We're feeling really stretched. We're really stressed. We're ready to go home. We'll come home. We wanted to be really diligent and not feel like, okay, we have to sell everything to do this. We wanted to keep our had something to come back to. We knew this wasn't going to be a forever plan. We're not retiring. We're just taking a break. So the the short-term tools that we decided to use, um, my husband and I both worked in the public sector. So we did have access to a 457. And then we have uh, traditional savings. 
And once, like I said, once we had our benchmarks, so to speak, in each of those buckets, we felt like, okay, I think, I think we hit our mark. <laughs> now what do we do? I think the harder part, the money part almost was the easiest part of this equation. It was the emotional, it was the social. I, you know, we were mentioning earlier, money is like black and white. It's easy to figure out the numbers. What was harder to figure out is, what do I want my career to look like after this? What is like my social capital going to be like if we're constantly moving? And what is that going to look like for the kids? How do we want to do schooling on the road? It was a lot of those things that happen in a place-based type society that we often are ingrained into those systems. And that was the harder part. So the mindset around my identity at work or the social connectedness or the emotional capital that it's going to take to be the only people really in my kid's life for a year Obviously, we're going to have interactions with others on the road, but that's taxing, right? So I think there was a lot more mental preparation than financial, although we were very diligent in making sure that the financial pieces were in place first. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, I think, you know, you've kind of got the money part down and that's kind of straightforward once you figure out the numbers and the vehicles you need to use. But then, yeah, you have to figure out all of these things about what is my job going to look like when I get back? Are we still going to have friends? How are my kids going to socialize? All of these things, you know, have such difficult questions and, and, you know, difficult to find the answers. And so I can imagine how difficult that was and what a difficult decision that was to make. But, you know, it's these big moments in life that come with a lot of risk, but a lot of reward. And so mm-hmm. I'm so excited for you on this journey. And so I'm curious, what is your advice for parents who want to break out and have more adventures with their kids outside of what may be viewed as traditional? I mean, this is not necessarily traditional in the sense that you're not just staying home and keeping them in school and you know working in nine to five. You know, I'm sure there are so many parents out there who would love to do what you're doing, but they feel like, you know, kind of the same fears and worries that you're facing about like, what am I going to be losing? What am I going to be missing out? How do I even get started? Am I going to deal with judgment from my family or friends? How would I even make this happen? Like, what advice do you have? Yeah. And those are all so critical. I think one of the blessings as I was doing that joy audit, I got down to the kids level, right? It required me to have conversations with my kids. And when I started this, I think my oldest was like seven. So he was very capable of having a conversation, sharing his thoughts and ideas with me. And when I started to see the world through his eyes and have empathy for what he wanted to experience, a lot of times I think as parents, we kind of put these external expectations on what growing up needs to look like. But from my kids' perspectives, it was very simple things. You know, my kid wanted one-on-one time to do an art project with me one month. And I was like, well, that could be anywhere from $0 to $100, right? I sometimes choose the higher end thing. And that helped me really think about Life doesn't necessarily have to be vacation mode if we do this. It could be very simple adventures is kind of the foundation of what our lifestyle would look like. And reframing, you know, adventure, we often think is this big, bold, adventurous, risky thing. And yet at the same time, the definition is really just to get outside your comfort zone a little, to try something new, to be challenged in a different way. And so when we embraced that as the mindset, it was a lot easier to say, okay, It's not necessarily big, bold, uncomfortable. This is just a slight modification to our lifestyle. We're changing where we're going to be every day, but not maybe, you know, it's like, again, if you think travel, you often think vacation and that has an expense attached to it. So we have been testing really every single year a piece of this. We did 
Our longest trip ever, I think, was uh, a couple years ago. Well, it would have been 2021 because 2020 happened and we all know that, but was three weeks in Hawaii. And that just seemed like a dream vacation. And we took a completely different approach to this. We used travel rewards. We stayed with locals. We had like a host experience. We went camping instead of staying in big resorts. What would that look like? And our total budget was under $3,500 for that entire experience. And I was like, whoa, I was expecting that to be more like $8,000 or something. So it was just really fascinating that once you start to look at things differently, it wasn't necessarily the money that needed to drive these decisions. It was, what do we want this experience to look like and how can we craft it? And the beautiful thing in that was it forced us then to start making connections and building relationships with people in places that we were curious about. So we started to build this, I I don't know, almost international type community. We would just start to connect with people. You know, they might be friends of friends or family members or people would say, oh my gosh, I have to introduce you to this person. And, And I would welcome that, right? I loved meeting new people from different places or anytime we were at a campsite or conversations with strangers. It was really fun for us to do that. And I think that's when we started to realize, you know, there wasn't really a dollar amount that we could put on this. And ironically, it's in the mental health space, especially, there's a lot of neuroscience around this as well, that you actually need to be uncomfortable at times to keep your dopamine levels in balance. And and I'm not the researcher that can really articulate this in, in the depth that it needs or for people to really understand it. But before I learned about this, margin of discomfort and getting outside a little bit, the easier it got. And so I started to say, okay, how can I help families do this? And what I learned was people just need ideas. They need connection. They need support. So building the community through Ordinary Sherpa, it was really fun to say, what does an adventure look like today? And stop thinking about what does it have to look like three months from now or six months from now or when they have a vacation from school? What is this rainy day going to look like today that's going to get us outside of our comfort zone? And they're not fun, right? I went for a walk in the rain this weekend. It was not necessarily fun. But after I was done with it, I was so glad I did because my kids really got me through that experience. And those were the simple things that I started to realize, okay, if we can just do little things every day, and every day is a stretch, right? Because not every day is perfect. And I'm like a very realist. (laughs) But things are not always perfect in this house. It's messy and cluttered and life is chaotic. But at the same point, at the end of the day, do I look back and say, gosh, did I do something today that makes that really brought joy to our life? Did we try something to get outside of our comfort zone? And it was the simple things that have really, you can stack those on top of each other because then you get better at it. It becomes more comfortable. Your comfort level grows with certain things and you can try more things or different things or notice things differently. And I think getting down to really understand where the kids are coming from, that empathy of what their life is like and what they really crave out of life as well. If I can get YouTube and exposing them to what that might be, I feel like that's a win. That's so amazing. And I love how you're redefining adventure and joy and what it looks like to do long-term travel. And yeah, I think for anyone listening, you know, think about the stuff that you do at home and how you do activities in your neighborhood. What does that look like if you're just in a different location, right? I think there is a difference between a vacation and kind of more longer, slower travel. You know, I spent a month in Mexico City in January 2020, and I did everything that I did in Los Angeles. I went to a boxing gym. I went to museums. I worked a little bit. I had coffee, and it was such a wonderful opportunity to get out of my comfort zone. And I love what you mentioned about how we all need a little bit of discomfort, because I very clearly remember telling my therapist, 
one of the few times in life that I feel very confident is when I travel alone. And it's just so clear to me that I feel that way because I'm figuring things out, like figuring things out how to, uh, you know, get on public transportation in a new country or a new city, you know, speaking a different language, figuring out what to do, where to go and doing it all on my own. And that builds that confidence from that discomfort. So, you know, there's so many ways to do this and how it can help you from a mental health standpoint, which ties into my next question. You know, what are some of the mental health and financial health considerations for being on the road and traveling as a family, especially because you have so many things that might be unexpected or come up? Like, how are you making sure that you're going to take care of your mental health and financial health, you know, while being on the road? Yeah. I wanted to quick piggyback too on what you stated. I also felt like a better mom when I was traveling. And it's funny because so many things are outside of our control. And it was just really fascinating for me to go, gosh, this is the one time when I feel completely present in this moment with whatever's happening in my life. I feel like I have the entire attention of my kids that I'm giving them the attention they deserve. But I also know like things are outside of my control. I can't get distracted by what the things are going to do because I there's a bit times when I just realized like this is the best version of myself right here in this airport with a kid crying at my feet. I, it some reason I am more patient and more calm and the best version of myself. So th- I just think that's an interesting that you mentioned that. Is, uh, but to answer your question, the mental health and financial considerations. So, you know, it's it's no secret that isolation is probably one of the factors that I'm most aware of, in tune with, concerned about. And really, I think that is what led me to start the podcast was so that I could start to learn from other people who have done this ahead of me. You know, they're the masters and I'm kind of the apprentice following in their footsteps and learning from them, figuring out how that's going to work for us. We made our entire, I, I say plan, like in quotes, because it's not a formal plan, but we're really trying to design this based on where we have relationships. I mentioned before, I'm not a bucket list person. I'm sure there will be amazing things along the way, but I also know that there's a lot of joy in childhood because there's constantly these new interactions, these new unexpected experiences, and we kind of lose that once we, quote unquote, settle down. (laughs) And so I really wanted to combine those two things that every day there's something a little bit unexpected and we're going to go meet someone new and there's something to look forward to. And at the same time, we're not cutting our ties. We are still staying very connected to our home and to our space. And so our family is still here and we're going to come home for a couple of times throughout that experience. And financially, I think I started to allude to, you know, we don't know what our income is going to look like. We do have side hustles, but to say, you know, this isn't vacation mode anymore. This is, we're taking our lifestyle with us on the road. We are going to still be working um, non-traditional things. Obviously, I mentioned we had side hustles. We're going to be schooling, again, just not traditionally. So, you know, we have to think about what we want those things to look like. And I think the biggest lesson we've learned thus far is just slowing down. When we start to really think we have to be to a place at That's when I think the external pressure and the spending starts to come in of, oh my gosh, I have to solve for this or I'm having anxiety about this. Well, yeah, we can choose to slow down. One of the experiments we did this last summer in the middle of June when gas prices were the highest ever, I think it was like 5.56 a gallon at the highest point, we took our RV up to Banff, Canada and decided, you know, if we're going to pressure test this, we are going to do 
It's the most uncomfortable time. Like the logical thing would have been to stay home, but I wanted to experience what is this going to be like if all of a sudden our budget goes haywire and we don't think we can make it, right? I wanted to go through and practice and pressure test kind of the emotional side of what the finances could be and then say, are we okay with that? And if this happens, what are we going to do about it so we can really strategize? There's a a framework, I actually included it in my book, and that was really fear setting where you take one of your fears and you kind of work through it and say, okay, if this were to happen, what would I do? And what can I do to prevent that from happening? And so I think it gave us better perspective around what are the things in that experiment in, in particular, what are the things we aren't thinking about? What are the things that we may have thought we had figured out or what are the things we thought were important and are no longer important? So I think sometimes doing these mini experiments or beta testing, things, so to speak, and like how far can we go with this idea before we are not at our optimal space in life. And again, I, I would say, you know, that it's finances, but also it's your well-being, your health, your physical health, your emotional health, and your social interactions are also very important in that process. So I'll just highlight, you know, just to give a fun example, one of the best days of that trip that we were in Banff, we were actually in Jasper. We had a day where we had to stay at a campsite. Actually, the toilet broke. So in our RV, so it was less than oh, no. <laughs> It was probably less than desirable for my husband who was fixing the toilet and had to drive to go get a part. But for the rest of us, we were kind of forced. We were kind of like, lack, for lack of a better word, like stuck at the campsite. And the craziest thing happened. Like, it always surprises me what happens. My oldest son, who was so ready to just take a break from his siblings, ended up sitting at the dining room table, getting out his fly tie next to tie flies for fly fishing. And he spent hours learning new flies, tying new flies, trying different techniques. Meanwhile, my youngest two found this bridge slash creek and they had made up stories. They were living off the land. They were native people. They were making food out of leaves. Like they had this entire world that had, they had created. And mind you, they're like 10 and seven. You know, they're not like babies anymore. So they had a level of independence. And for them, it felt so good to do whatever they wanted to do with nobody telling them what to do. And it got to that point where I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. I have never had this much freedom as a mom because I've always been scheduled or I had other expectations on me that I probably was the most uncomfortable in this experience that I was like, well, I guess I'm going to grab a book. <laughs> and even that was hard. I was like, oh, dear. I can't even focus on the book. Like something's, someone's got to need me, right? <laughs> like, wait, you don't need me and I don't have to do anything and I don't have anywhere to be right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Talk about uncomfortable, right? Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I wanted you to pause real quick and take a mindful minute. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And exhale. Take a deep breath again and exhale. Taking a moment for yourself is so important for your mental health. Now, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying this episode, please review the podcast and share it on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart and share your thoughts. It'll really help spread the word about the show and help others with their money and mental health. You can also support this independent podcast and buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lagert. 
I love that this experience just opened up a new way of being and living. And I love that you tested things out and, you know, you have that exercise in your book about thinking about things and, and, and knowing how to adjust. And I love that beautiful story about your kids. I think like that's a, such a wonderful way of, you know, there are certain unexpected things that happen when you're traveling and when you're on the road and how can you make the most out of it? And sometimes it's something that you would have never imagined and it could be way better than you think. Yeah. And it, and it surprises you, right? Because we don't, we're not really trained for things to be simple. We always expect them to be more complicated. So I think it's been interesting too, to see what kids can bring to the table. I think it's always, I felt, and, and I shouldn't, you know, acknowledge that I was a former teacher. And so there is a part of me that feels like I'm the one espousing all of this knowledge onto them. And is really think differently about that by giving kids the space to explore what they're interested in. It's teaching me so much, but also like what my expectations were of them is so limiting in comparison of what they're really capable of and what they can come up with. So it's also just fostered this curious approach to learning that has, again, just kind of shocked me that I... I don't want to say I didn't think that that was possible, but I think it surprised me how capable they are and what happens when we give them the freedom and the flexibility to do some of those things. That is so beautiful and wonderful. And yeah, I, I love how you know these new experiences can really offer this new reality and sense of adventure and new possibilities that you would have not had access to if you stayed in the same place, if you were to do you know the more traditional lifestyle, what everyone else is doing and you get to kind of live life on your terms in a different way. Yeah. You know, I should mention there's an interesting lesson that I learned in all of this way before I was really even in gap year mindset. My boss, who I love, by the way, and I have loved my work, gave me the book Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know. If, have you ever read the book? Oh my gosh, that is actually on my list. Like it's literally the next book I'm reading. <laughs> yes, it is so good. So I'm not going to give the book away, but it's a fascinating story of a, I think he's a psychiatrist or a psychologist in the mental health type space living in a in the Holocaust concentration camps. And uh, he has some just really profound observations from that experience. But there's one quote that kind of sticks with me. And that is, and I'm not going to like say it perfectly or eloquently, but essentially it says, between the stimulus and the response, there is the space. And in that space is your power. And I have learned if I can pause and just allow there to be space in whatever the stimulus is. And before I respond, it's giving me a lot more power to just calm the nerves, to react differently, to think through what do I want my response to actually be as opposed to what is my typical response. And that has been a game changer in, I think in parenting, but also with this adventurous mindset, right? Because it's so easy. If you're out of your comfort zone constantly, then you want to go to your comfort zone really quickly. It's almost like a retreat mechanism. But if we can really lean into some of this space and this in between the stimulus and the response, it's really allowed me to grow as an individual and as a parent, but also just as a human, right? I, I tend to listen. I have more patience. I'm learning as opposed to teaching all the time. So I think it's given me a different perspective on what my role even in life is. Oh, that is amazing. And yes, I'm definitely going to check that book out. And I'm familiar with that quote. And I definitely use that idea so much in my mental health and healing journey because taking that pause in that space, you know, can just really help so many aspects of your life. 
And so I wanted to transition and talk a little bit about what this is costing you. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you make one choice, you're making it at the expense of another. And so we talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, what fears did you have to face winding down your career in order to have a gap year? Yeah. It was also kind of funny because I was not finding a lot of support. And I don't mean that, but like there aren't a lot of examples of people who leave their job that they love. Usually they're leaving a job to run away from something that they were like ready to get a break from. So I think that was something that I was very cognizant on the front end. A lot of the examples that we found were people that were like selling everything. They were selling their house and that was going to fund their experience. And I was like, well, that's not us. That's not going to work for us. We have a fourth generation farmhouse that, you know, it's it's very important to us. The land and the house is very important to us and we aren't willing to give that up. So that was a consideration that I had to think about. But I think I've also just thought, you know, I'm good at my job. So what is the market going to be like when I return? What's the job market going to be like, number one? And then the financial market, number two. I mean, that's another thing that I... I always call it like, I have to take that book off the shelf every once in a while, that book of anxiety. And lately it's just been the market, right? I have to look at it and I'll just be like, okay, how long am I going to sit with this? Because I can either put this book back on the shelf or I can sit and be miserable about it. And what am I going to do about it? I find the the quicker I can get to action these days and do something about it as opposed to just thinking and stewing in my thoughts. You know, there's still the piece around if there's an emergency, um, and again, unplanned, but we did have some experience with this. We were in Texas last Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, mountain biking in the RV. And my daughter had an accident, ended up breaking both arms and required emergency surgery. So ah! yeah, talk about a disaster. And in some ways it was, I don't want to say it was a blessing. It was miserable. It was a hard, it was a lot of hard all the way around. But now we have an emergency under our belt. <laughs> so in some ways... We learn so much from that as well. And I just feel like these little pieces, every time I get very anxious, I, so going back to even that fear setting, if this happens, okay, well, you this did happen. Remember that? And what did you do? And how did it? And truly, I think what happens sometimes is you're shocked by the community that shows up for you when you need them the most. In that instance, we had a friend of a cousin who offered to host us and really like talk about hospitality. It was just so amazing. Like we stayed there for the night. They took care of the boys for me. So I I can't even describe it. And I could not have planned for that experience to happen, right? There was no way I could have, nor would I have wanted to really orchestrate that in our plan. But look what happens, right? When some of these anxious fears, things that we don't really want to deal with, when they do show up in our life, there are things that surprise us. And oftentimes there's good things that come of that as well. It's not always the bad, the doom and the gloom. There are good things that come from that. Yeah, I think one way to kind of reorient yourself when you're kind of focused on what am I potentially missing out by making this choice is, you know, that there are opportunities that might happen as well. And there's going to be difficulties that are going to be difficult and make you question your original choice. But then there are so many beautiful gifts that can come out of it. And I think there's the opportunity to always change your mind. So like I have a friend who's, you know, just made a big life change, moved across to the country into a different country and, you know, is wondering, am I making a mistake? And kind of in that fear of like, am I missing out on my old life? And with a lot of these things, only time will tell. And even then, it's not like you've made a mistake or or you're missing out. It's just going to be a different reality. And 
sometimes we just have to learn the hard way and, and realize, okay, this is something that's not going to work for me, or I have to, you know, change course, or I have to do something different. But I always live by the belief that I'd much rather try something and be like, okay, now I know that that didn't work or that wasn't right for me, than always wonder what if, right? Because it's so much easier to move through life, you know, knowing that you tried and you have to adjust and, and maybe course correct rather than you never tried it at all because there is so much learning that happens in that space. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, going back to this idea of like this window of life that you don't, you're going to be ideal. Like that's that's the prime space for you to try these things. I'm probably not going to jump on a trampoline or skydive when I'm 80 or 90. I'm probably not going to do, I don't know, I, I'm not sure what those things are, right? But as I see myself, even I'm already starting to feel some of the physical constraints of what I once could do and what I can do now or am come and I want to use the word comfortable but like I'm too afraid to get hurt at my age. I know I bounce back much slower than some of the kids do. So I think there's pieces of that that you start to embody and if you just focus on the negative we'll never do anything. Or if we always focus on the risk and so I do really maybe I'm just overly optimistic but I just have found that every time I focus on the the scarcity or the things that could go wrong, as opposed to focusing on like what could be, what could happen. I'm always pleasantly surprised. And I think I've just taught myself now, like after these experiences, like Heidi, stop. (laughs) You can go down that rabbit hole or you can choose to just say, we'll see what happens. And I'm a pretty resourceful person. And I bet you're going to come up with a new solution in the moment that's going to not even be on your radar right now. So just believing in what's possible is just, I think it's, yeah, it's hard because it's hard when you're in scarcity and you only see the negative things around you. Explainable reasons why that is a case for people. And once you can get out in that and you see the opportunity and the the gratitude for what is possible, it's just, it's so life-giving. And I hope that everyone can experience that at some point. I think that's why I feel so compelled to show families that this is possible and you don't have to wait 30 years to have fun, (laughs) to enjoy life. You can do it now, today. Yes. Why wait? Get started now because life is finite and we are not getting any younger. We are not promised tomorrow. We don't know when our time is, you know, coming. So we have to enjoy life to the fullest now. And that brings me to my next question. So if If someone wants to break the status quo and have more travel and adventure, but feels bogged down with their job, family obligations, what is the first step that they should take to get started on this journey? Yeah, I have a couple different strategies I've tried. And I think depending on where people are at in their life and in the inner work that they've done, I think there's a couple of different steps you could consider. One of them is just a list of like, what's two steps outside my comfort zone? I never say, oh, go for the bucket list thing right away because that's too scary, right? There's a zone. There's actually, it's called a zone of dysregulation. In our comfort zone, there's actually like neurological things that are happening in our comfort zone. It's like the fight or flight is calmed, right? We feel at ease. We don't feel like we're being attacked. When you get to the edge of that, you start to have a physiological response. And if you go too far, you hit panic. And that's where like trauma can happen in the panic zone. So we don't want to go to trauma. We don't want to trigger a trauma response. We want to really try to stay close to discomfort but one that maybe like makes our heart race a little bit or our breathing rate goes up or maybe we sweat a little bit thinking about it. Like it's a good nervous, right? Ever think about like giving a public speech, right? It's it's uncomfortable, but it's in a good way. 
those are the types of experiences I really try to encourage people. Like what is on that little dream list almost? What would make you so like, oh my gosh, I could never do that versus what if I did a minimum viable version of that, right? If What if I just took one step? I don't have to do the whole thing, but like what's one, what's the first step that I could take? And just think of it out, right? Just draw it out or list it out or whatever works for you and the type of learning that works best for you. I once did like an ideal day. What is the ideal day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m.? What is 12 hours? If I could do anything with my life, what would it look like? And then I encourage families like, okay, now go do it. Because most people don't plan the most expensive thing. When they start to realize what really matters, it's the simple stuff like, oh, I could go for a picnic with my kids or I could go have my favorite dessert or I could go create this memory that we're going to never forget. Those are the things that I'm going to take our pictures doing it and whatever that day looks like for you, let's go ahead and sketch it out. You don't have to do it. You might want to modify it, but I think it gives you something to look forward to as opposed to someone like telling you what you need to do. I do have um, some simple, and I can give this to your listeners if you want, just simple ideas to get out of your head a little bit, just like freebie, simple adventures for things for you to try. It brings awareness to like how simple this could be. And yet we often overthink what an adventure has to look like. And we make it so hard and so overwhelming that we just do nothing. So I really hope that, you know, the, the simple adventures, the thing that got us out of our rut was we ended up making the the joy audit was so much fun that we realized like, okay, every kid had like a thing that they wanted to do. Well, as we did those things, we kept thinking of more and more and more really simple things that we could do. And we started putting them on this list. And then every season, as we kind of like go through the list, we're like, okay, we need to make the next season adventure list of things that we could do. Just like if we have a day, cost much, they're pretty simple. They don't take a long time to plan. And so it's been funny because, you know, I came off of that experience the summer of spending all that time in the RV and we got home and I was like, I can't plan anything. You guys like, I'm done. And we pulled out this adventure list and my daughter's like, was on the list is to go swimming at my aunt and uncle's house. And I was like, okay, should we give them a call? <laughs> you know, it was like, Aww, so. it was so simple, right? But like I could do on, that. <laughs> right, right. It was so simple that I didn't have to plan. And I like having the right things now, just like getting out the door, I think is the the sooner and easier you make it to get out the door and do the thing, the more likely we are to start. And that's, I think if you can focus on starting something as opposed to finishing, you have a step in the right direction. I love that. And I think it's so important to figure out what are the small steps that you can take right now? And, you know, it doesn't have to be big, but how can I explore my own neighborhood? How can I have my ideal day? Like, what are ways that you can kind of be a tourist in your own city or enjoy your day now, even if it can't be the full experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you're saying there because it's the stuff that's all around you all the time. We just have, you know, we've gotten in our own routine and we just overlook those things. We don't see them. They're actually blind to us in some ways, you know, like they didn't just show up because COVID happened. Um, I also... We'll say that sometimes about our old traditions. Like, why do we keep doing things that we've always done just because we've always done them? I'll give you a story. I absolutely hate, and I, I feel like this is unmotherly of me to say, but I absolutely hate carving pumpkins. I I don't enjoy any part of the process. <laughs> hey, that's safe to say here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the truth. So I am trying to figure out like, okay, how can we do this differently? Because I do not want to put my hands, it's just so gross. Like, I just don't like the mess. I don't love it. Anyway, so I challenged our family to come up with a new tradition. What if 
at Halloween time, we did something else. And we decided, actually, almost none of us like pumpkin carving. (laughs) So it was even funnier that was like, why were we doing it then? Because nobody really enjoyed it. And the pumpkins rotted and it was a mess and nobody wanted to clean it up or touch that gooey stuff. So then we said, well, what do we like about this season? And let's use pumpkin patch. But they really don't want to go get a pumpkin out of the field. What they liked was the silly farm games. We live in Wisconsin. So there's like a corn bin that they can play in. That's like a sandbox. And this maze made out of, oh, like all different things, actually. There's a corn maze. There's a hay bale maze. There's these crazy tractors that they turn into slides. Like that's what they wanted to do. And I'll make sure I still buy something or contribute to support the local business. But when we reframed it from being, oh, we have to go carve pumpkins into like, ooh, let's have a farm-friendly game day at the pumpkin patch. It was so much more enjoyable. I think that's so important because you let go of what you felt like you were expected to do and expected to love. And you're like, let's just be honest with what we really want and what we would really like to do. And I think that's so important because so many of us feel pressure to celebrate in a certain way or partake in certain activities because we're supposed to. But it's your life. You can design it how you want. And if that's not exactly you know what you want to do, figure out how you can celebrate it in a way that makes sense for you and your family. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is, it's easy to fall in the traps, right? Of having your birthday parties look like this or whatever those traditions are. It sometimes feels like we're letting go of something that's really important. But I think it's also a really healthy cleansing process. Your brain and your body and your life can only hold so much. So hold on to the things that stuff that's kind of eh. <laughs> that's yeah. a four instead of a 10. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all of your tips and stories. It's been such a wonderful conversation. Where can people find you and your work and follow your adventures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, well, thank you first for having me on. It was absolute pleasure to have this conversation. You can find me at Ordinary Sherpa. I started as a podcast, so any podcast player, you can find Ordinary Sherpa. Um, I have a book as well. So if any of the things I mentioned that, you know, from the science and the research, but also how we've designed our life and even simple adventure ideas, that's in my book, Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embrace Adventure, Explore the Wilderness and Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids is available uh, mostly on Amazon or my website. I think it's available other places, but I'm not sure. And then lastly, if you just kind of want to keep up on our story, it's probably easiest to find all the day-to-day stuff on Instagram at Ordinary Sherpa as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a Mental Health and Wealth Hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific chat about all things money and mental health. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review and you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.